The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid to lose? I came up with a list of some things that I think are probably the most common things that folks are afraid to lose. Starting with something that's pretty relevant nowadays, Folks are often afraid to lose their job. Or how about your health? Or your savings? Or your kids? Or your spouse? Or your parents? Your car? Your home? Your cell phone? That's true if you're a teenager these days. Your reputation? Your mind? Your memory? Your peace? Your comfort? your traditions, your history. What are you afraid to lose? I'm sure there are many other things that could be added to that list, but there is a theme that runs through all of those things, all of the things that we're afraid to lose, and it's very simple. Those are things that we love. It is because we love them that we're afraid to lose them. If we didn't love them, of course, we would have no fear whatsoever. But there is another important theme at that point as well a theme that runs through all of those things that we love and are afraid to lose, and that is, they are all fragile. We know this all too well, but the things we love in this life are things that fade and go away. They are things that are subject to decay, things that grow old and die. They are treasures here on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, we know. But the things we love are fragile, and that is why we fear to lose them. We know it's inevitable. If we did not know that we would lose the things we love, we would not be afraid. Now, the world knows it, too. The world that we live in knows that the things we love are fragile, and the world has the same fear of loss. 
But the world does something kind of tricky to get around this. It can't prevent that fear. It can't prevent the fact of loss. And so here's what the world does. It gives false comfort. The world tells lies. It sounds something like this. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be just fine. There's something remarkable about that kind of an expression. Even if you heard it from a stranger, somebody you didn't know at all, it would give you a little bit of relief in the face of some fear because maybe that person knows something you don't know. Maybe that little bit of hope is just what you need to take the edge off of your concern, your fear of loss. But what the world is doing when it says, do not be afraid, everything's going to be okay, is it is promising more than it can deliver. It's pushing off to the side, into the distant future, something that is, in fact, inevitable, that the things we love go away. I can't tell you how tempting it is. Whenever I go to the hospital and see someone who is sick, and I see their loved ones, I can't tell you how tempting it is to offer these kinds of false comforts. I remember once visiting a little girl who was nine years old, and she was in a coma, and her parents were just undone, as you can imagine. I can't tell you how tempting it was in that moment to say something like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. God is not going to take your little girl away from you. But had I said that, I would have been promising something far more than I could deliver. It is that kind of false comfort which is very appealing, which the world has on offer to deal with the fear that we suffer on account of loss. But it is just that. It is false comfort. It's a false hope. It is promising more than the world can deliver. Now, I'm talking about fear and fear of loss because fear is something that is underlying all of our lessons today. Starting with our Old Testament lesson with Elijah, when he's out in the wilderness hearing that still small voice of God, he has been on the run because of Queen Jezebel who wants to murder him. He's afraid for his life. And he's also afraid because he thinks that the work that he's been doing for God as his prophet, he thinks that it was all for nothing. He's afraid. Elijah is afraid. St. Peter is also afraid in our gospel lesson when he discovers that he is face to face with the living God in that boat, the God who created the seas and pulled all of those fish out of it with a word, Peter is afraid. And then he wrote in our epistle lesson, later in his life, after Jesus had died and risen and ascended, he writes about the fear of Christians that they have against those or towards those who would persecute them. He says, have no fear of them. Do not be afraid of those who persecute you for your faith. Fear is underlying a lot of what's going on in our lessons. But what's important to see is that Christians, people who believe in God, handle the fear of loss differently than the world does. There are a few specific ways that we do this. The first is very simple. Christians don't tell lies. We don't offer false comfort. We don't believe false comforts. We don't believe false comfort and we don't offer false comfort because we know for a fact that everything is not going to be okay. Everything is not going to work out on account of sin. Now, there is a way in which Christians can say everything is going to be okay in Christ. But when you're in a hospital room with somebody who's watching their little daughter die, what they want to hear is it's going to be okay, meaning you're not, your daughter's not going to die. She's going to be just fine. And that kind of comfort is not the comfort Christians offer. 
We know the cause for loss. We know why anybody loses anything and anyone at all. The whole reason anybody ever dies is because they are sinners. The reason you and I are going to die is because we are sinners. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, of course. When God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We've known this from the beginning, that this world is beset by loss, by things that were never meant to decay or grow old or die, doing just that. So there's no cause in lying about it, no cause in giving false comforts, because we know the truth. And we know that we ourselves are a part of the problem. We know that false comforts don't help. But there is another important way that Christians think about fear that is a bit starker. That's a pretty stark and harsh reality, that false comforts are nothing. But there's a starker reality, and it's this, that there is a God who gave you all of the things that you have, that you love, and that you're afraid to lose. He gave you all of those things, and he is also the one who takes them away. It is God, the Lord God, who created the heavens and the earth, who stills the wind and the waves with a word, who looks into the tomb and calls to Lazarus and says, come out, be alive. It is that same God who gives you all of the good things you love and who also takes them away. When we lose things in this life, when we lose the things we love, it is not an accident. It is not misfortune or bad luck or something outside of God's control. But he is the Lord who gives and who takes away, as Job says. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That should give us cause not to fear losing the things we love, but to fear him who has given the things that we love to us. This is the position that Peter finds himself in in our gospel lesson. He has seen Jesus face to face and he's experienced what the writer to the Hebrews says when he says, it is fearful, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Peter is also experiencing what Jesus himself says later when he says, you shouldn't fear him or anyone who can destroy your body. Rather, you should fear the one who can destroy both body and soul and hell. This is what Peter is experiencing. As he's been on the boat, he thought it was a nice day for fishing. Things were working out surprisingly well as Jesus got into his boat and was preaching to the crowd. But then Jesus gave him this strange command, let down your nets, something they'd been doing all night, which is when you're supposed to fish. And having caught nothing, Peter is a little bit astonished that Jesus would suggest it. But he knows that there's something special about Jesus, and so he listens to his word, and he lets down the net, and the catch of fish is incredible. Both boats can't hold all the fish. But Peter marvels less at the catch of a fish than he does at the presence of Jesus. What does he do? He falls on his knees in fear. He knows that he's standing in the presence of the living God. Depart from me, for I am a sinner. Now the problem, of course, with Peter at this moment is that he is thinking about fear in the same way that the world does. He thinks that the thing he's afraid of should just be put out of sight and out of mind. If I can put some distance between me and Jesus, then I won't be afraid. But of course, we know how silly that is to try and put distance between us and God. Adam and Eve found that out in the Garden of Eden when they tried to hide from God to no avail. Peter thinks that putting distance between himself and God is what's going to solve his fear. And Jesus will have none of it. Jesus utters what are some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Peter is on his knees in terror, and Jesus looks at him and says, Do not be afraid. When the God who made the heavens and the earth, 
who stills the wind and the waves with a word, who can call up an abundant catch of fish with a word, who can call the dead to life with a word. When he says to you, do not be afraid, then there is nothing to fear. Nothing can harm you. This is the third important way that Christians think about fear differently than the rest of the world. We listen to Jesus. We listen to what he has to say about fear. Neither should you fear losing the things that you love because they are given to you by God. Nor should you fear that God will destroy your body and soul in hell, but you should listen to him when he says, do not be afraid. This is what he said to you when you were baptized into his holy name, when you were washed with water and made clean, given a new heart and a new spirit. He said to you, do not be afraid. You are the child of my father. Heavenly, eternal life is yours because you have been washed clean. Do not be afraid. When he forgives your sins, when he says you, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, what is he saying to you? But do not be afraid. Your sins can harm you no more. Satan can harm you no more. He cannot accuse you on account of your sins. They cannot hurt you. You have nothing to be fear. Do not be afraid. When you eat and drink Jesus' body and blood, he is giving you the very pledge and token of that promise. Do not be afraid. Why? Because my body and blood have been poured out for you, which I offer to you even now, so that you need not fear. Do not be afraid. These kinds of promises from God are littered throughout the scriptures. We heard it in our intro today. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David says time and time again in the Psalms, the Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. What do I have to fear? The Lord is on my side. Christians hear God when he says, do not be afraid. Christians listen to Jesus when he says, do not be afraid. That is the cure for what the world tries to solve with false comforts, tries to solve by putting out of sight and out of mind. That is the cure, the precious words of Christ, the promise that you have nothing to fear. Now that fearlessness takes root in Peter almost immediately. Did you notice what happened? He heard Jesus say, do not be afraid. They land the boat on shore, and then Peter and James and John leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Who can do that except someone who is fearless? All of the things that they loved, the things that they would previously have been terrified to lose, they left those things behind because they knew they possessed the one thing needful. They had the presence and promise of the one who had given them all of those precious things, and so they followed him. They were fearless. Now, fearlessness is a dangerous thing. People who are fearless are dangerous. They have nothing to lose. This is why Christians are persecuted by the world, because they're fearless. Because you're fearless, you don't conform to the way the world expects you to behave. You're not afraid of losing things, not afraid of losing your life, and that makes you dangerous, and that's why the world persecutes Christians. That fearlessness is a gift from God. It's a gift that leads you to the promises that God has for you in eternal life, because the things that you would be afraid to lose in this life, which are impermanent and fading, God promises to replace with things that are lasting and permanent. This is what makes Peter and James and John fearless. They know that what they leave behind, they will regain in abundance. Peter later asks Jesus, he says, Lord, we've left everything behind to follow you. What will our reward be? And Jesus says to him, whatever you have left behind, 
Father, mother, husband, wife, children, whatever you've left behind, for my sake, you will regain in abundance, a hundredfold, with eternal life. Later, Jesus also, when he's talking about anxiety and worry, he says, don't be afraid of the things that you need in this life, of the things that you love in this life. Don't be afraid of losing them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we hold fast, if we hold on tightly and grapple for the things of this life that we love, we will lose them. They are impermanent and fading. But if we hold fast to Christ, we receive those very same treasures in eternity, unfading, permanent, and with the blessing of Christ, in the presence of Christ. Hear Jesus as he says to you, do not be afraid. Hold fast to him and look forward to the treasures that you have in heaven on account of him, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal, where there is no fear of loss because the one who has given you all things is all in all, fulfilling his promises and holding you close to him forever. To him be glory now and forever. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.